I hope that you've already felt ministered to this morning, and I'm praying that uh, today would just be one of those Sundays that really God does a shift in your heart. Uh, we've been in a series we've entitled Family Values, and we're looking at the values of the early church, and we're saying, hey, these need to be our values as a church in 2023. We want to be a church that adopts the values of our, of the, of our ancestor church, our, our church from, from ages ago, because the, that's the way the church was birthed. This is the, this is the beautiful uh, revolution that has changed the world. We're here today because of what God started 2,000 years ago, and he's continuing to do today. Amen, church? That's right. And so we've been looking at this. We've been looking at um, the time that we spend together. We've been looking at just what are we doing? What are we, what are we saying is really important to us? And in that first week, we looked at how the early church prayed together. And this, this church was just gathering. Every time they gathered, they would pray. Every time there was a situation, they would just, hey, let's pray together. Peter's in prison. Let's pray. You know, and the walls are shaking, right? The, the, the earthquake is happening. The, the bars are breaking and people are being released from prison physically and spiritually. And that was, uh, that was in that first week. And we talked about being a praying presence. Uh, and my challenge for our church was, hey, where, wherever God places you, be that praying presence. Be that person that says, hey, let's pray right now. And when you're in your life groups and when you're with your friends, like develop the kind of, of culture, the kind of group that just prays. And I've been so excited about how the church has been responding to this. We have been um, gathering at 8.20 on Sunday mornings to pray we had, I think, close to 90 people there this morning. It's incredible what God's doing. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you, when we have that many people showing up just to pray, I, I just know the Lord is going to do something powerful because I, I have no doubt in my mind that whenever his people seek him corporately as a powerful like family, he, he just releases the spirit into things. And so that was this morning. And I'm so super stoked about that. Last week, Pastor Steve gave an outstanding message on the next value, which was the value of the apostles teaching. And we talked about how the, the apostles teaching really shaped the culture of the early church, that they were putting into practice what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught them, right? So I, I could just imagine as they taught about loving their neighbor and they're thinking of the Good Samaritan story. And the early church is like, hey, we're going to be revolutionary in the way we love people. Most people only love people who do nice things for them. We're going to love even our enemies, right? This group of people, our values are going to be Jesus's values. And he loved even the sinner. He had dinner with the tax collector. We're going to be revolutionary in the way we love. And you see that in the early church. And you see that, that as these values became, became behaviors, that behavior shaped the culture. And that's why this, this series is important because we're trying to establish a culture so that when people visit our church and they, they kind of, they're new to town and we, we live in this really, I think, sovereign, by God's sovereign decree that we are in this perfect spot here in Henderson, where there's an entire community moving here from all over. We might be the first church that someone either visits or even ever has attended because of the proximity we are to places like Cadence and all over here. And so I want us to be this place that when people meet this, this group of Jesus people, like they say, wow, the culture here, the, the friendliness, they just, they just embody Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Like we want to be a place that just embodies Jesus that they encounter the living Jesus when they, 
when they come together. So we talked about our family prays together. We talked about our family's gonna, gonna learn and obey together. We're not just gonna hear messages, we're gonna obey them. Can I get an amen to that, right? All right. And then today I wanna talk about this, this third value that you see in the early church. And it's really an important value. It's, it's a powerful value. And you see it in the book of Acts. I wanna show it to you. It's Acts chapter two. It says, they devoted themselves. So this is like, this is the verb. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Look at this. And to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. I wanna talk about this devotion to the fellowship. What does it mean to be devoted to the fellowship? What does that mean? What does that mean that the early church was devoted, not just to the apostles' teachings, but they were devoted to the fellowship? I think, I think what we see here is this, this devotion to each other. They were devoted to each other. They were there for one another. And we're going to see that in a minute. They were, there, they, were, they were developing this network, this caring community that said, look, I'm not going anywhere. You're going through something hard. I'm here for you. Your, your faith is shaken. Hey, hey, borrow some of my faith. Let me help you. Now my faith is shaken. Hey, I'm going to need to borrow your faith. Guys, because we're a body. We're a family. We're together. Guys, can I say something to you that I think now more than ever, the United States, especially where we are in, in, in our history, they need to see what a good healthy, spiritual family of people devoted to each other and devoted to Jesus look like. Can I tell you, this generation is hungry for that. This generation's not hungry for another like, you know, show on Sunday. What they're hungry for is someone that says, hey, I'm not leaving you. Hey, hey, you know what? I'm devoted to you. I'm cheering for you. I'm supporting you. This is a family you can count on. I think, I think now more than ever, they've called the Generation Z, they've called it the loneliest generation. They say that 73% of Gen Z identify, self-identify as being lonely. Can you imagine that? There's disconnections. And it's a, it's a paradox too, because we're more connected than ever. We have social media, we have smartphones, we have all these available like opportunities for connection, and yet there's loneliness there's loneliness. Um, I want to I think about this, this concept, though, of, of a family, because sometimes that word family doesn't always bring up images of nurturing network. It doesn't always bring up this, this, this image of a, of, a, of a support system, because not everybody comes from a healthy family. I don't know where all of your families were growing up, and I don't know the, the kinds of families that maybe you, you've come from, but we all know the statistics in our country that by and large, more and more, the family's feeling fractured and there's not the same kind of networks. And, and, and not only is there fractures in the families because of the mobility in our country, families are more spread out than ever before. You don't maybe necessarily get to grow up around your grandparents. You don't necessarily get that, that experience. And so uh, when I say the word family, and I say that the church is a spiritual family, for some, that, that might not actually help you. You might say, well, if that's, not, if that's true, I don't know if I want to be a part of the church because my family was kind of messed up, right? You with me there? And not only is that true, I think the church itself has, has kind of a less than stellar reputation in our country sometimes. Whether it's a church leader that's abused a, a, a person or a group of people or a culture in a church that wasn't very nurturing 
or the posture, let me say this, the posture of the church towards social issues, right? Instead of loving our neighbor, instead of loving those who think different or are different, right? Instead of having that posture, they feel condemned, right? And so I want to talk about, I want to talk about what that means as a church. For us to love our culture, for us to love people who are far from God. And, and as messy as that feels, how to be a family, how to extend welcome to people who are far from Jesus, just like Jesus did. And I want to see that in this, in this early uh, church. And I think what's interesting about the early church is, is this, this explosion into the streets of Jerusalem. And you remember a couple of weeks ago uh, when we started the Family Values series, it started on Pentecost Sunday, right? And that's the Sunday the Holy Spirit descended onto the church and spilled out into the city uh, of Jerusalem. And so I want you to kind of picture that event for a moment because what's happened there is literally thousands of pilgrims have come to Jerusalem to worship. And they're not expecting Pentecost. They're not expecting this uh, spirit of God to fall, right? So they're there to, to kind of worship in the way of their ancestors. They're at Jerusalem. This is, this is uh, during the season between Passover and Pentecost. This is the, this is the celebration of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the moment when Jerusalem or Israel, I'm sorry, the people kind of worship uh, with these booths and they're remembering the wanderings in the wilderness and all of that. And so in this moment, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls and these witnesses to Jesus's resurrection are telling Israel about Jesus. And they're witnessing to the resurrection and now the church is born. And there are 3000 new converts to Christianity and they don't wanna go back home. I mean, hey, you just experienced the Holy Spirit. You just realized the Messiah, Jesus, defeated death. I ain't going home either, right? You with me today? I know I'm not supposed to say ain't, but you with me? Like, I'm not going home either. I want to stay right there. Peter, tell me what you know, bro. Like, I want to hear about this, right? So the early church starts. All these people are there. They're not going back home. What are they going to do? They're going to be devoted to each other. Can I get an amen to that? Look what Paul says in, in Romans. Check this out. Romans chapter 12, he says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Can I just say, that is a very attractive community to be a part of. To be a part of a people that would say, look, I'm with you. And, and we do, we see this in the early church. Look what happens. This is Acts chapter two. Look what it says. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Why? Because there's a lot of need. Why is there a lot of need? Because these pilgrims have moved into Jerusalem and they're not heading back yet. So they have to eat. Like, we're like, what are we doing? We're like having this amazing Holy Spirit revival, pour, you know, pouring down. And so, okay, my stomach's growling, right? I, I, what are we going to do, right? And so they said, well, let's sell our stuff. Let's see what God's doing. Let's, let's take care of each other. And this is powerful. Every day, let's read this together with me. Every day, they continue to meet together. Man, again, I have to say, if you or I were there, I think we'd be like, yeah. Like every day, I want to meet up with Peter and James and John. I want to hear all about the Good Samaritan story because I wasn't here when Jesus was teaching it. And now you're telling me that Jesus was crucified to a cross. Everyone's like nodding their head. Yeah, we saw that. And he's resurrected from the dead. 
Yes, the tomb is empty. Like, okay. And now we're seeing miracles and signs and wonders happening through the hands of the disciples. You better, I'm not going home. Like, like, mom, sorry, I'm staying, right? You with me? You guys with me? Yeah, okay. So every day they meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Let's all read this and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number every day, those who are being saved. This devoted Christ-centered community is a very attractive thing. It was attractive 2,000 years ago. And friends, let me tell you, it's attractive today. Can I tell you that humans, they have a need to belong we have a, an inborn, I think, Holy Spirit, God-created need to be with others. But here's the problem. The enemy knows that, and he can use that need to belong against us. He can create communities that aren't centered on Jesus. He can create, create communities centered on things that are maybe lies or counterfeits. And that same kind of need for belonging draws people to those identities and to those communities. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, instead of walking in the spirit and walking in the power and the victory that Jesus offers, they're walking in dehumanizing things that enslave them and bring them far from Christ. You guys understand what I'm saying? Because let me tell you this, people will belong to something. We will well, we're going to be drawn to something. We're going to be drawn to some kind of community. The question is, is it going to be a community that's based and anchored on the king of kings or not? And so you see this, you see this in the early church, and they're devoted to each other. And you, and you know that there's these multi-generations in this church. We read this uh, last week, Pastor Steve talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out on sons and daughters, the young men and women and the old men and the old women. And they're all having their different environments and their different experiences with the Holy Spirit. And so in a lot of ways, the church is like a good family. It's like a health, it, when, it's in it, when it's working correctly, it's this beautiful interdenominational community where the young people kind of maybe breathe a little life into for the, for the older folks. But then the older people give some wisdom to the younger folks. Are you with me today? How many of us, how many of, our, of us in the older group, how many of our hearts ache when we hear like what our younger people are, are connected into and tied into? How many of us wish we could just sit across the table with someone that, that is struggling with their identity or struggling with some kind of confusion and just say, listen, 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 let me give you some, let me give you some life, life help here. Not everything that enters your mind is who you are, right? Like life is about ups and downs. Like life goes up, life goes down. I've lived enough years. Let me give you some hope. Let me, let me, actually, let me grab your hand and walk with you through those ups and downs. Let me give you some wisdom. And young people, you're, you're telling the old people like, yeah, I love that. Can we pray? Yeah. Can we, can we start like get, getting together and like forgetting about all those to-do lists because, because we kind of haven't lived long enough to worry about all that stuff. And can we just like pray with this childlike faith? How many of us would benefit from both of those generations being together? You guys with me today? This is what a community that's Christ-centered looks like. I want to show you a story in the book of Acts that I think is so beautiful. And I think it really identifies what the early church 
ethos, this culture was like, this culture of being devoted to each other. I want to introduce you to this man. A lot of you know him. He was a church persecutor. His Jewish name was Saul. His Roman name was Paul, same name, just the Romanized version. But Saul didn't follow Jesus. And when Saul first heard about the Jesus movement, Saul thought it was a threat to Judaism. He was a Pharisee, a very zealous and careful student of the Torah. And Saul thought his job was to stop this new Jewish movement, this new Jewish sect called the Jesus way. And he was going to stop it by persecuting it. And so Saul started this, this, you know, just very aggressive, like trying to shut it down. He got authority from the Jewish priests in the temple, and he was trying to shut down the Jesus movement. And he actually oversaw the murderous mob who killed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Saul was there. In fact, the text tells us they laid their coats at Saul's feet while they grabbed the rocks to kill the first Christian martyr, Stephen. But Saul takes off on a trip. He's heading north to the city of Damascus, and he's, gonna, he's got these letters in his hands author, authorizing him to imprison Christians in Damascus, to bring them back to Jerusalem. So he's taking, listen, he's taking his persecution like over, overseas, so to speak. He's, he's mobilizing the persecution of the church to this new place, Damascus. But on that road, he meets Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Come on. The unlikely convert Paul or Saul becomes a Jesus follower. Look at Acts chapter two or nine, verse 26. When Saul arrived back in Jerusalem, so he goes to Damascus. I'm not gonna go into the whole story, but he meets Jesus. Now he's gonna come back to Jerusalem. Check this out. He tried to be with the believers, but they were afraid of him. I think I would be too, right? They did not believe he had truly become a believer. So they're a little suspicious of, of this guy, Saul. But then Barnabas brought him to the apostles. Now, who's Barnabas? Barnabas is this faithful Jesus follower. One of the apostles, not one of the 12 apostles, but he's an apostle. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's a teacher in the church. In fact, Barnabas was identified earlier as someone who donated his land to take care of the pilgrims who were in Jerusalem who needed food. So he's all in. He is a disciple maker. He's an all in guy. And Barnabas was in Damascus when this guy Saul comes rolling up and he's met Jesus. And Barnabas says to the apostles, look, I can vouch for him. He says, he told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He told them how that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And look at this. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. He debated with some Greek-speaking um, Jews, they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his own hometown. Let me tell you why I'm introducing this guy to you. Because here we have Paul or Saul, who was a murderer. And now he's a missionary. Come on. Sometimes murderers become missionaries. Can I get an amen to that? Are we a church that believes murderers can become missionaries? Are we the people that believe God can change anybody at any time? Do we serve that kind of God? Yeah, we do. In case you are wondering, yes, we do. God can take a murderer and make him a missionary. And here's the thing, but what that missionary needs 
That missionary needs a Barnabas that believes in him. That missionary needs a support team that's not gonna keep criticizing him or being suspicious of him. That missionary, look, needs someone who will sneak him out of town because he's being persecuted for his new faith. Guys, how friendly is this community to people who are new to the faith? How warm are we to new people who are following Jesus and maybe they don't get it all right. Maybe, maybe, maybe they have a bad reputation because of who they were. Maybe they're still struggling, right? Because it's messy, to meet people and bring them to Jesus. It's messy. How, how messy was Peter for Jesus? How messy was that, right? Like, oh man, Peter, you know, what are you, what are you saying now? Get your foot out of your mouth, right? I mean, how messy is it working with people? They don't always get it right. They take two steps forward and a step back. But this early church saw that Jesus had actually met him. Saul that Saul was actually now a Jesus follower and they were devoted to him. And now they're using the underground railroad to sneak him out, to get him out so that he's not gonna be persecuted and he's safely brought back to the, his hometown of Tarsus. And this is a powerful moment in church history because what this church doesn't know about Saul is that God has big plans for this guy. This former murderer, now missionary, is going to do huge things. And the fact that this early church is willing to accept him and willing to be devoted to him and willing to help sneak him out of town and over to Tarsus, instead of thinking, well, I guess if he gets killed, he, he helped kill Stephen. And we really have never forgiven him for that. So maybe he'll get what's coming. Instead of it being a grudge-holding group, they are forgiving people because they've received forgiveness. And what are they doing? They're giving forgiveness. Man, we have to be the kind of people that love to forgive people because we've been forgiven. We love to extend grace because we've been given grace. Man, I'm really hoping that this is landing today. You guys with me today? Man, because we're given way too much judgment. We're given way too much condemnation. And we need to give a whole lot more grace and a whole, whole lot more love. We need to give people room to let Jesus encounter them on the road to Damascus. I'm not saying we, we water down the message. Guys, it's King Jesus. We don't have anything else to offer. It, we're offering King Jesus. We're not offering buddy Jesus. We're not offering, you know, uh, friendly Jesus. We're offering King Jesus, which means if you're coming to him, you need to bow to King Jesus, right? but he's the king who gave his life on a cross. Like he's a, he's a king that says, I love you enough to die for you, right? So he's that kind of king. And so we're gonna offer that to the world. We're gonna say, listen, guys, you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to believe that you can satisfy your own desires in that, in that lie anymore. You can leave that because you've got a king who's won your heart. He's defeated the grave. He's king of kings and he is so glorious. Come and worship us. Come and worship with us. Come and see him. And so now I want to show you this pivotal moment in the church. So Saul got snuck out. He's back, to, to Barna, uh, back up to uh, Tarsus. But then God does something powerful. How many of us know God can take even, even bad decisions and turn them into good things? Look what happens in Acts 11. This is powerful. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, interesting, tra traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of, Syria, of Assyria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, 
Some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. So hold up. Remember I told you Saul was there when Stephen was killed? That's a terrible thing. That's a horrible thing. But God took that horrible thing and used it to scatter the church. And just like when you throw a big rock into a fire and it scatters embers, and now little fires start to burn, that's what's happening. This rock of Stephen's death scatters the church, and now they're all over, and they're just taking Jesus with them. Come on, who's taking Jesus with you right now? You taking Jesus to your job? You taking Jesus to your, to your, to your oikos? What is an oikos? We'll tell you about that later this summer. You taking Jesus to your, to your network? You're taking Jesus to your friendships? So, so, so that's what's happening here. But this is, so, this is so amazing. The redemption in this story is so powerful. Remember, it was Saul that was a part of that scattering. It was Saul that were, like, motivated that persecution. Check out what happens. So now these Christians are up in Antioch, and they're preaching to Gentiles. The power of the Lord was on them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22, when the church of Jerusalem heard about what happened. Again, it's hard for us to imagine, but at this stage in history, it's only Jewish people that are Christians by and large. There's a couple of little one-offs, but mainly it's all Christians that are the Jews that are Christians. What are they going to do? They send all Barnabas. That guy, Barnabas. Hey, Barnabas. Hey, Barney. I don't know if that's his nickname. Hey, Barney. Why don't you go up to Antioch and see what's happening? We trust you. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy. Guys, when we see God at work, if you're filled with the Spirit and you see God at work, even in people who don't look like you or vote like you or think like you, you know what happens when you see Jesus at work there? You're filled with joy. Even if they don't go to the same kind of church you go to, you see Jesus in them, you're like, oh, man. Look, because everything is secondary to if they love King Jesus. We'll figure the rest of it out. And probably in heaven, we'll all figure out we're all wrong on all that stuff. Because the truth of the matter is, all that matters is King Jesus. Like we heard last week, salvation doesn't come flying in Air Force One. The deal of the matter is, is Jesus King, right? Let's focus there. And so here's Barnabas, and he sees a bunch of Gentiles who are not circumcised, who are not following the law of Moses, but they are filled with Jesus. And he's like, man, I'm filled with joy. I love this. So he was encouraged, he encouraged these believers to stay true to the Lord. Now, guys, this is a powerful moment because Barnabas knows that they're all new believers. They aren't Jews. They don't have maybe a, 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 a long heritage of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. They don't have that. They, they maybe lack that in their spiritual development. They're maybe coming from, you know, some certain pagan philosophies and ideas. And so he he's, knows that they need discipled. They're just meeting Yahweh for the first time. And so Barnabas sees this as a potential deficiency. And he says, guys, you need to stay true to the Lord. I think that you see Barnabas, the teacher here. And he's like, look, I need to disciple you. It says in verse 24 that Barnabas was a good man and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. It says, and many people were brought to the Lord. I, I want to pause it right there. If you pause it right here, you, you can see that Barnabas is having a fruitful ministry in this blossoming church in Antioch. He's preaching. He's a man full of, he's a man full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. 
He knows the, the, the Torah. He knows, he knows that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So he's no doubt teaching them about the Hebrew scriptures and the connection with the story of God and how Jesus fulfills all that. I am imagining Barnabas having all these Bible studies. But you know what Barnabas knows? He knows there's someone even more equipped than him. Barnabas says, I know there's somebody who knows his Hebrew better than I know my Hebrew. And he knows so much. And God has already done an amazing work. So Barnabas says, guys, I need to leave. And I need to go find some help. I'm devoted to this young man. His name is Saul. He used to kill Christians. He's a murderer. But don't worry. He's now a missionary. Come on. I want to introduce you to this guy, Saul, because when he gets here, he's going to take us to the next level because God's been doing some work in Saul's life. So look at the devotion of the early church. Look at this man, Barnabas, and his devotion to Saul. He could have said, look, it's all for me. I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to get all the glory, and I'm going to build this church up by myself. He doesn't have that attitude. He's devoted to somebody else because he wants to be Saul's cheerleader. He wants to see the gifts in Saul's life manifest. He wants to see Saul begin to pour out those gifts. And so it says this, look, hit the next one for me. He finds Saul. I just can picture this. I wish I had more time. I just picture Barnabas walking into, you know, Tarsus. It's not like he could call him on the phone. He didn't even know he's coming. He's like, hey, Saul, <laughs> what have you been doing? Like, I don't know. I've been teaching in the synagogues, trying to get these Jews to know Jesus. You want to hear about this group of Gentiles in Antioch? You want to come over here and help me uh, become a light to the nations, just like Isaiah said we were going to be? Because it's all happening, Saul. Saul's like, dude, I'm down. I'm imagining all this, okay? I'm down. Let's go. (laughs) Saul leaves his hometown. Check this out. Because he knows Barnabas is devoted to him. Barnabas has already showed him that. Barnabas is someone Saul can trust. He says, okay, let's go. Barnabas, guys, grabs Saul brings him to Antioch. And friend, the rest is history. Saul is Paul the apostle, the writer of 13 letters in our New Testament, the the author of the first missionary journeys into the unknowns of the world at that time. It is Paul and Barnabas who then are sent out as missionaries. Guys, today, we are here today because of the decision of Barnabas to be devoted to Saul, to take Saul to Antioch, the first kind of Gentile church. And that same church is the birthplace of the first missionary movement to the Gentile nations. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. Guys, our spiritual heritage is traced back to this pivotal moment in history because of the devotion of the church to each other. Guys, who are the Saul's being birthed in our, in our congregation? Who are, who are the little, the little like believers who just need a community that's devoted to them? That's going to fan into flame their beliefs and their, and their, when they're struggling with what all the world's throwing at them, who's going to be the anchor, right? Who's going to be the community that anchors them? that teaches them, hey, you don't have to go that way. There's another way you can go. Guys, let me tell you, faith, it is in a community like this, is so much more persuasive than when you're all by yourself trying to figure it out. When I have my brothers and sisters encouraging my faith in the middle of my doubts, in the middle of my questions, in the middle of my temptations, can I say one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is when people aren't committed to a community. Because it's when that happens, it's just, I just believe this so much, guys. It's just when they were about to make a big breakthrough 
they were just about to have that big breakthrough in their faith that the enemy convinced them to kind of separate from the community and at that moment cut themselves away from the very support system that their faith needed. Guys, we have to be a caring community that's devoted to each other. This has to be, your life group has to be, your community has to be a place where I have brothers and sisters I can count on. I want to end with these words of the Apostle Paul, who is Saul, who once was a murderer and now is a missionary. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, look at it. I, therefore, a prisoner serving for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For if you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Come on. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, come on. There is one spirit just as you have been called into, the, into this one glorious hope for the future. This is the apostle Paul, once a murderer, now a missionary, because he had a, a team of people devoted to him. We have to be a, a, our family has to be a family that's committed to each other. Can I just invite you as a church? I want to invite our whole church right now to truly lean in to each other. Guys, attending a service once a week isn't really going to let you feel that connection that you need. It's going to take more than just an hour and a half on a Sunday. It's going to take you nurturing friendships, joining a life group, going to a men's group or a women's group, being a part, if you're a high school kid, being a part of underground, spending time. I was saying this at the early church or the early service. You know, this morning when we had our 120 club show up to pray, I'm still looking for a champion for my 11 o'clock service for the 120 club, okay? So if you, if you feel that, tell me, okay? Because I need a champion for this service to pray. We had about 90 people show up and pray for this, this church services. And we were praying and I looked up at the clock and I said, guys, we've been praying for over 20 minutes. I said, that was a quick 20. And what I meant by that is, you know, there is something, and you guys know what I'm talking about. When you're just in the spirit and you're communing with your brothers and sisters, it's like time just flies. You're just praying. You're with your brothers and sisters. You, it's kind of like you're taking the watch off, you know? And you're like, you know what? I don't care what time it is. I want to connect with my family. This is important. This is priority. Or a brother or sister calls you on the phone and you're like, hey, you matter to me. What do you need? I'm coming over. Can we just stand together? And I wanna, I wanna invite you as a church this morning to consider this value, this value of being committed to each other, this value that I think is deeply embedded in the early church, that they were a part of a group of people who believed in them who are there for them. And if you don't have that, guys, I want to just encourage you. If I could just do this like the Apostle Paul, if I could just beg you for Christ's sake, 
to find a community you connect with. This, this fall, we are launching new life groups and I need some of you to step up and say, I will be a life group leader. I will be a host. I will host it in my home. Guys, we will train you. We will equip you. I promise you will not be on your own. We will support that. But I need people who are willing to step up for that. And so maybe you and your spouse uh, just want to start praying this summer about being one of those, a host or a leader, because there are many people that come to church. And I want to just say, guys, the pastor and me just want to say, hey, I got a group for you. Go to this group. They will love you. They will care for you. You will create this caring community. We have to be a group, a church of groups. We have to be a church of groups. We can't be devoted to 200 people. We have a small group of people we can be committed to. Are you with me on that? So Father, I am praying for our church to be committed to each other. For those who feel lonely and orphaned, that they would find a family. For those that feel far away, that feel like their past or their temptations or their sins have disqualified them from fellowship. God, help them to, so, to know that they are loved and received here. God, that, that at any moment they just repent, turn to you. God, we are here. God, I pray that they would just feel accepted and loved here. There, there would be just this welcome extended to everyone. And God, even if they're still struggling, help them to struggle with us here and not away from here. We would much rather have people struggle here than far away. God, we are the church of the struggling. All of us struggle. Father, I pray. I'm gonna ask this, uh, this service right now um, to end our service in prayer for this next generation. As I said a minute ago, this is the lonely generation. And I'm gonna ask us to intercede for the young generation that needs a family, that needs the, the church more than ever. And so I wanna end our time. I'm gonna have the worship team just sing over you. And I wanna ask you right where you are to pray for this generation and pray that they would just really, really find Christian communities, that they would not walk away from the church, the church would not walk away from them, that we would reach out and love to this generation. So would you just join me, church? If you wanna come forward and pray for this generation, well, that'd be great. If you wanna stand where you are and pray for them. But we are gonna end today really praying for the, the next generation to know Jesus, praying for them to find the Christian community that, that they need. And you can pray for this, your generation, where you're at too. All of us need Jesus, but I want, I have my heart specifically just burdened for this new, new generation. So we're gonna pray for them. Let me open us and then we'll let you all pray. If you need prayer for something else, the prayer team will be up here. You can come forward and pray there too. Father, as we end our service praying for community, for the community of Jesus, to reach out to this lonely generation, to bring them to the good shepherd, would you hear our prayers as a church? Would we be a church that intercedes for the next generation, that we wouldn't judge them, we would love them? God, would we be a church that wants, that craves for people to know Jesus? Hear our prayers in Jesus' name.